Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and as I am every Tuesday, my esteemed colleague Olgan Ulrich is alongside me in the ESPN Melbourne studios. And every Monday night, we get together and we think of a few topics that we're going to talk about. And timing is everything when it comes to podcasting. And we've been fortunate a few times this week, Olgs. And you came in with a little extra pep in your step this morning because nothing <laughs> gets you going like breaking news. Scoops, scoops. And we weren't going to talk about the Brisbane Bullets. But we're going to start with the Brisbane Bullets. What the heck is going on up north? They weren't on the agenda. We were going to talk that, the absurd ending to, to Melbourne, Perth. Which oh, we'll, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. we'll get to. Um, but I woke up. There was rumblings around the Bullets organization. Right? They are... I've said this before here. They are flailing to an extent. Um, there have been conversations that are ongoing with regard to uh, the future of that interim head coach position, that head coach position, what happens to it. Um, I was told that there were discussions and it ended up that Sam McKinnon is out as interim head coach of the Brisbane Bullets. Uh, they have decided, they're in advanced talks, but it's effectively decided that Todd Purvis, uh, who just coached in Macau, has coached in Indonesia, uh, he will be stepping in as the new head coach of the Brisbane Bullets uh, until he comes in, um, one of their assistant coaches, uh, Greg uh, Vanderjak, will come in as the interim head coach. We've got an interim interim? We have an interim to the interim. Unbelievable. So we stuff. had an interim. He's now out. He will be replaced by an interim until yeah. Todd Purvis comes in and takes over full-time. That's the expectation. Um, I'm told that there is consternation amongst the playing group and about the whole Bullets organization. They're, they are flailing. They, um, yeah, they're, they're falling apart, to be honest. Yeah, over the last few months with heard some interesting stuff out of there and we've discussed that length on this podcast the timing of some of the moves which hasn't totally made a lot of sense but we were also in an interesting press conference the other day Olgs, where uh, Brisbane lost to Melbourne United Sam McKinnon as far as I can tell for the first time openly said I want the head coaching yep. job I followed it up and asked him, is this a new thing? or is Because I was confused about what I was hearing. I said, did he just say that publicly? We, but I, you and I both, we were like, did he just break some news right now? Yeah, so I asked him whether this was always in his mind or something's been stoked in the last few weeks getting back into the role. And he said, no, that he's feeling passionate about coaching this group, these guys. He likes the process too. But he, had, he did smile a lot through this press conference and it, it just felt a little bit bizarre. And so I actually thought that he would just coach based on what we heard there and his role as GM. And if he wants to coach, it's halfway through the season. I figured that they might just roll through. So I must admit, a little bit surprised of the timing of this. And again, if you just look at the steps of the last week or the last few days, it's in line with everything else that seems to be happening with, happening with Brisbane. And by that, I mean, it makes little sense. And we spoke about this when James Duncan was let go as well. The timing of that made no sense either. So like that's a weird part of it. Um, at this point, he Sam McKinnon remains the GM of basketball. Whether that continues is, I, I'm told, an ongoing discussion. Um, so there could be some changes there, and, and like I said, the players are not happy, especially the the senior group of gu group of guys there. Um, you know, I I don't know if they're going to say anything publicly or anything like that, but there is a sense that there is that they have lost the playing group. So they're four and nine, Olgs, almost halfway through the season. They've played thirteen games, so they're going to hit 
the halfway mark when they play the Cairns Taipans on Wednesday night on ESPN. And by the way, catch the jump. After the NBL, first time we've got Wednesday night hoops in the NBL this season. So 9.30pm, the jump live on ESPN after the Bullets and the Cairns Taipans. But you're trying to look for continuity, and that's not something this team has had through the entire season. From the start of the year, with the players that were coming back from lengthy injuries, it was going to take some time. Then they changed the head coach. They move on an import. You reported over the weekend that they've signed a second import now, Andrew White. So they're going to have to try and bring him into this team. You've said maybe he'll play on Wednesday. Then they've had the firing of James Duncan. Sam McKinnon comes in as head coach. But now he's out. They might have a different head coach on Wednesday night. And then the next game they play, they might have another head coach. So I just find it impossible to sit back and expect this team to get on a real roll. Now, I'm not saying... Look, anything can happen, but on paper, this doesn't seem like a formula for this team to turn it around. And they did come into the season, regardless of whether they believe it's fair, with expectations that in a 10-team league, six teams are making the play-in. With the players you've got, you better get there. Firstly, I enjoy you spitting bars about the Brisbane Bullets. That's very fun. Thank you. Um, the, the frustrating part of this is that they were the talk of the town because they signed Aaron Baines, right? On a decent amount of money. And, and so, some of that, do you feel that some of that is a little unfair? Like, in terms of the straight-up expectations on Aaron Banks? Oh, totally. Yeah. Because he was not going to be some sort of, like, crazy offensive weapon. Yeah. He was going to be a really cool, like, defensive option. Like, uh, like he, he would guide, the like, anchor their defense, sure. Um, and he has the experience. He has name recognition. All of that is very cool. But the fact that they couldn't build a team around him, um, knowing that they were going to have a lot of eyes on them, knowing that there might be some expectation because of the name of Aaron Baines. Mm-hmm. The fact that they didn't put a team together that can compete, um, or that was at the very least going to feel stable and organized, um, I think is just... They, they've failed this offseason. Um, we, we knew that um, they were sort of iffy when they were going through processes this offseason, but the fact that this is where we are right now, and they have Aaron Baines, you know, arguably the most prominent player in the league, I feel like they've they've really given up a, a significant opportunity that they could have had. Well, we'll see what happens with the Bullets. As we said, we weren't really expecting to talk about them today, but we absolutely had to, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come over the next couple of days, and I would highly recommend everyone goes to ESPN.com.au to keep up with all the latest news there. Uh, but we had to bury the lead story of the morning <laughs> a little bit, and it was only a few hours ago because 9.30 p.m. on the East Coast, this Monday night hoops... I want to petition to get rid of 9.30. Uh, get rid of 9.30 games if there's no 7.30 game. Like Okay, but I would say keep the 9.30 games if they're going to be as wild as this one between the Perth Wildcats and Melbourne United. Sure. So they've had some classics in recent times. Melbourne has been able to get the wins in Perth. They've been on a streak over there in terms of winning games. And it looked like they were home. There was 50... I'm looking at... I'm trying to remind myself under a minute... 53 seconds left on the clock. Isaac Humphreys scores on a layup. Yep. So what, you, up eight? Up eight. Yep. 87 to 79. And I'm thinking, wow, it's 10 past 11. Do I need to watch the last 53 seconds of this game? Well, I'm glad I did because there was almost a T-Mac, but it was a group T-Mac a that group the Perth T-Mac. Wildcats pulled off in this <laughs> game from the deflections, the defensive stops. Luke Travers was in everything. And ultimately, this ended with Todd Blanchfield hitting a three. He was one for eight in the fourth quarter this year from three. He hasn't been able to hit anything. And not only does he hit the straightaway three, but he's fouled at the same time. 
And then the Perth Wildcats that haven't been able to rebound all season <laughs> get an offensive rebound off a free throw. And they were able to win the game because Corey Webster, in his 250th game, knocks down the three. I don't think that we can possibly see a crazier win than that. And for Melbourne United, this is a team that, between the Tassie Jack Jumpers game last weekend and now this game, they've had a really rough season and a tough season. But those two wins, if they have them, they're in the sixth and they're in decent spot. Now they're in the down the bottom of the table and they just give themselves a humongous mountain to climb to even get back to the six. Look, I, I tweeted to this effect. The team that they have right now that is healthy, that looks organized, that has Shea Ely pulling the strings there. You know, you've got XRM, Isaac Humphreys coming off the bench. You know, this was a team that I think obviously could, it can still be a spoiler for a lot of teams, mm. but it was one that I thought could sneak into that top six. You know, it has that sort of talent. It has that depth now. They look organized and they just blew what might be the, their last chance the, it's the nature of the rest of their schedule and then the nature of losing to the Wildcats who are probably going to be hovering above them this was a huge loss for them it took a good 20 minutes after that game for me to actually <laughs> process the fact that they lost that game it, it was wild and I imagine all the players in, in Melbourne felt the same um, Like it's it's not down to one thing they, they did a lot of there are a lot of things that they could have done well um, could have done better at the end of that game but you can't turn the ball over in those instances. You can't foul a three-point shooter in that instance. You can't not box out a shooter at the free-throw line in that instance as well. You know, this... It, it sort of... Everything came back to haunt them at the end. Um, and I, I don't see Melbourne's pathway to the playoffs. And this just kind of like... This lifts Perth up now. This, all of a sudden, they feel like they can sort of cruise into the playoffs now. Well, it's interesting with the Wildcats because we haven't spoke about them a lot, but I think it's time that we do a little bit because they've been winning games here. I think it's five of their last seven now, or it's something around that mark. And some of those wins, you look at them and you're like, geez, I don't know if that was the most impressive win of all time, but they're banking the wins. Obviously, they go to New Zealand. Teams haven't had a lot of success over there, but they picked up that win. And I said this to you, I think we were at a game in Melbourne when the lineups came through and it might have been the New Zealand game. And I said, John really's just gone to the screw it. Travis at the three? Well, I just I, he just went to his five best players. Yep. So we talk about Mitch Norton, obviously not a shooting threat. Blanchfield, we already mentioned, has not been able to hit anything. And we just said, look, Bryce Cotton needs some help. Yep. I've written about the defensive struggles with the two big lineups. They've been better with Luke Travers at the four or Wagstaff at the four. But if you just go out and say, well, we're going to outscore teams, and it's not saying that the Perth Wildcats can't turn around the defense, and they may still do so, but I think it was absolutely the right move to say, who is the biggest threat on the perimeter on this roster? It's Corey Webster. Yep. We just need to start him and play him alongside Bryce Cotton because the opposition defense just doesn't respect these other players right now because they're not knocking down shots. And what you've actually seen is Webster shooting, playing yep. well, looks like his confidence is back. And again, these starters so far, the defensive rating, this was prior to last night, yep. was 119. Now, they haven't played a huge number of possessions. So obviously, the defense still a work in progress. But the offensive rating was 136 points per 100 possessions. They can score. Yep. Manic is a threat from the outside. Now, all of a sudden, Luke Travers is in transition. And he's able to score in different ways and just cause chaos defensively. Tejon Thomas looks dynamic all of a sudden, too. So uh, it was just a good move. It had to happen. But it took a little bit longer than perhaps we thought. Just put your best five players out there on this team and see what can happen. And I wonder if it, it can ultimately become an actual thing. I think the reason why it, we're struggling to 
think that this is real is because a lot of it has just been on the back of, I don't want to say hero ball, but just really good talent from Bryce Cotton, from Corey Webster. They're really, really elite shot makers. So a lot of these that, that offensive firepower just comes from those guys being super talented. But we saw in the second half of that Melbourne-Perth game, Luke Travers sort of came into his own a little bit. It took him a little bit, but he was being guarded by Chris Golding. And, and it took him a little bit to realize, oh, I can just go at Chris Golding. I can just go at him. He was parking, passing the ball really well. Um, they were running a little bit too. As soon as Maddox starts, started to hit some shots and, and Tayshon Thomas started to be really dynamic down low, all of a sudden, they, it looked like they had some flow, which they didn't have in the first half and they didn't really have in the first half of the season so far. So another 29 points for Bryce Cotton. So this is just, as you were discussing, the, the superstar play that he's been producing so far this season. And we've said uh, it's been a, a one-man band for a lot of it. Yeah. And even in these games, and I don't think anyone's walking away from last night. Like, this was miraculous stuff. No one's walking <laughs> away and saying, well, the Wildcats are back. But they're banking wins, which is, at the moment, exactly what you need to do. With the MVP, and this is always interesting, most of the time you've got to be on a winning team, and I totally understand why that's the case. And we've discussed the top three for MVP, and I haven't had Bryce Cotton in it because the Wildcats were losing, yep. despite the excellent play from Bryce Cotton. But if you talk about just straight up most valuable player to their team... Oh, like, to the Perth Wildcats, he yeah, he is more valuable than any other player is to his team. Um the, I think just the nature of the way we treat the MVP award, you've got to be like a top two or three team in order to actually be in consideration for that. And if the Wildcats get there, then he is absolutely back in that conversation. Until then, it's still a, a very Zave Cooks, Mitch Creaky sort of situation we're working with. Um, but the Wildcats are looking better. Again, last night was shaky and they should not have won, but they did win um, and they've strung together a bunch of wins. And so if they can continue that, Bryce Cotton's absolutely in that conversation again. That's why perhaps for the interest of the comp, and again, Melbourne United could go on an extreme role, but for the interest of the comp, maybe Melbourne just hanging on there and really bunching up that Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne from six to eight would have been more fascinating. But again, we've said it all year. There's so many games where I go in to watch and say, I literally don't know what's going to happen and I don't know who's going to win. The team on top of the ladder, the Sydney Kings, 10 and four. I, I don't think that there's any panic. The fourth quarter stuff. Not even a little bit of panic? No, I, I doubt it. Okay. What did you see from the fourth quarter in this game against Tasmania? And we will get to the point of giving Tasmania the credit that they absolutely deserve as well. I mean, I I, I have a feeling that they're still trying to figure out how Derek Walton and Dejan Vasilovic can work amongst each other, right? I, I don't think... So we talk about Vasilovic's, um his efficiency, right? He's below 30% from three at this point, um, which is well below the expectation for him. We thought he'd come in as maybe a top two guy on this team. Um, but it seems as though he's getting a lot of tough looks. And and so that's not helpful. I, I honestly think this game, Tasmania guarded really well. Um, it, it seemed like toward the end of it, Sydney was sort of going for those hero shots, which I, obviously I don't think any team should do. But Tasmania just guarded really well. They guard as a unit. Um, it... Sydney couldn't get any good looks. And then, obviously, Tasmania. We spoke about Milton Doyle last week. I'm happy to speak about him every single week if we if we must. He's unbelievably talented. He kind of gets every, any shot he wants. And big ups to Jack McVeigh, too. And I have a question about Jack McVeigh, which I'll lob to you a little bit later. Uh, but what did you see in, in Sydney-Tassie, especially in that fourth quarter? Well, Chase Buford said after the game that they haven't been able to 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically they've had some issues with the fourth quarter uh, so far this season. We know they didn't score a lot against New Zealand. New Zealand's an elite defensive team. Tasmania is getting back yeah. defensively. They had a bit of a scratchy start to this season. So I just went and had a look what the Kings have done in fourth quarters across the entire season so far. And the efficiency is way down. And you'd have to go back and look at all the, the games to understand what is the cause for that. But just in terms of where the shots are coming from. So in quarters one to three... 47% of their shots are at the rim. In the fourth quarter, that goes down to 41. And then the three-point attempts uh, in quarters one to three, 35%. And that goes up to 40%. So they are shooting more threes in the fourth quarter, and they're just not making them. They're 29% from three in the fourth quarter so far this season. And you mentioned DJ, who you know, we love, and has hit one of the biggest shots in the history of NBL Grand Final Series last year. He's clutch. You still think that he's going to figure it out, but we are halfway through the season and uh, particularly in those fourth quarters, uh, overall he's shooting 24% and then under 30% from three. So that's where the upside is. And that's why I don't think there would be any panic in terms of where the Sydney Kings think they're at. But that, that man right there is is the upside for this team. And I saw even he tweeted, I think to Paul Smith or someone last week and said, don't worry, I'll start finally knocking down some three. So I'm sure he's scratching his head because you mentioned that some of the shots he takes are heavily contested and they are. But he's a tough shot maker. And yeah. he'll keep shooting them. His confidence isn't going to waver. So there is more to it than just that. Um, but clearly they have struggled for efficiency in the fourth quarter. It's, but it's, it's, again, like you said, the, the, the fourth quarter concerns are slightly concerning, right? Being able to close out those sorts of games uh, in, and in those moments is what good teams do. It's what championship teams do. Um, the reason why it's only a slight concern and nothing more than that is because this team has players who have demonstrated how good they are in certain moments, right? And so the fact that this team looks as good as they do um, and Vasilovic has yet to get going. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim Suarez is, is shooting below the, the clip that we expect him to shoot. Um, and he's great defensively, but, you know, they, they want more out of him. Um, it still feels like... It seems like only in the past two weeks Derek Walton Jr. has sort of come out and started to play more with aggressive. A, a little bit more. It seems like he's gotten out of second gear and he's, he's getting closer to you know his full potential. Um, and then we've seen how good Zabe Cooks is. He can get whatever he freaking wants on the court, right? And so we see the we see the potential of that team. We see the ceiling. And so we're not, not too concerned. Um, but they, they need to figure out those sort of fourth quarter woes pretty soon if they want to kind of not fall apart in the playoffs because those are, those are the sort of moments that can kill you. They also would have won that game against the majority of teams. But the thing that Tassie never does, and they did knock down a bunch of threes, but they were all, within the offense, great looks. And you look at some other teams and even New Zealand that came close a couple of times to making that comeback. And a lot of teams fall into the trap of, oh, we're down 10 with five minutes to go. that start launching threes early in the shot clock. Let's try and get this lead uh, deficit back all at once. And the Jackies just don't do it. No yeah. matter the situation, they don't panic. They just keep playing offense. You look at Scott Roth and they're down 12 with eight minutes to go and you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell whether they're winning or losing. He's the same. This team is balanced. They don't panic and they just chipped away at that lead. And, and it, Jack McVeigh is a guy who I forget about because we talk about the imports in Tasmania, because we talk about Milton Doyle. Um, we talk about the guys who are injured and who are coming back. So Clint Steindl and Will Magne. But Jack McVeigh has been as solid as a rock for them every single game, and I think he was—I think he was ill coming into this game, and he just hit the biggest shots. Um, so let me lob this question to you: We, 
and this might be too much of a tangent, but I don't care. Um, when we talk about the boomers and what happens when Chris Golding and Patty Mills and Joe Ingalls graduate from that program, who is that next shooter? Right, and it's I speak to a lot of people in Australian basketball about this. Like, who is the next guy? Is it DJ Vasiljevic? You know, who is it's? I think Ryan Brockoff is making a, a really good case for himself to rejoin that group. But is Jack McVeigh, for whatever defensive deficiencies that you might consider with him, is he a guy who is in the consideration of, hey, this might be the shooter the Boomers need? So you're talking about the World Cup next I'm about, year. I'm talking about World Cup. I'm talking about. Who can be part of that program moving forward? Yeah, I, I would still, and we've discussed this, I, I still think that CG is in there if you want uh, that just elite shooter. And I've said this before, you've had some guys that have been in the Bremer squad and they've played very minimal minutes. Yeah. But CG's been a, a rotation guy. And I think we've seen enough from him this season, yep. particularly these last couple of games, to say, okay, yeah, he's still the same guy. Melbourne's had some struggles offensively. So I still think that he's probably that player. Also because the Boomers are, are deep at the forward position. Yep. So agree, his name should be thrown up there. He played with the Boomers over this last offseason. So clearly he's in the mix. Brian Gorgian and the, the coaching staff have had a good look at him. But it will be tough. I agree it would be tough. Um but he's just he never seems to be in the conversation for those yeah, wider I agree. those those wider squads, those extended squads. And I feel like given all of the athletic slashing talent that the Boomers have, I, I think someone who can shoot it at that level, um, and the way he can shoot it too, you know, catch catch and shoots, really, really quick release. I feel like he could be kind of helpful for them. And I also think he's a he's a good character guy too. I think he'd be helpful. At the very least, I think he should be part of those extended squads and be in consideration. Selfishly for us, who are planning on being at the World Cup, if Jack McVeigh was there, it would be awesome for our jobs because he's also one of the great interviews in the league. This is very true. This is very true. Getting getting insights on the boomers from him <laughs> would be unbelievable. Uh, Milton Doyle, you mentioned. I don't know what he did in this 21-day break that he had with, <laughs> with injury, but three games since he's been back, 27 points per game. 57% from the field, 48% from three. And remember, before you missed these games, he was below 30% from three. Great looking stroke, but he wasn't able to knock them down. He's been simply on fire since they came back. And again in this game, Jack McVeigh completed everything that needed to be done in terms of getting the Jackies back in the game. And then Milton Doyle with the step back Over Sean finished Bruce. it. It was, that shot was... It was so beautiful, and you knew it was down as soon as it left his hand too. He, it just, it was so smooth. He has so, he's such good flow. Um, watching again, I said this last week, and we we did a story on this last week too. At the end of games, knowing that the ball is his in, is in his hands mm. makes me feel comfortable. Yeah, you feel good about that. And when Andrew Gaze is on the call, <laughs> a man who, in case people didn't realize, could shoot the basketball, when he just keeps talking about the way his shot looks. I tend to listen to someone like Gazy on the call. For the record, by the way, Gazy talks about how everyone's shot looks. It's it's good or bad. Good or bad. It's the most hilarious thing. If there is a person who shoots a basketball who Gazy has not mentioned before, he will give us a step by step breakdown on what that what that guy's shot looks like. It's one of it's one of the joys of listening to NBL commentary. That's why when we were filming the commercial for the jump, I waited until Andrew Gaze was getting his photo taken, eating food, getting changed, getting his hair done before I started getting some shots up he in the gym. He would have destroyed you. I know. Yeah. It, it would have been embarrassing and I, I did not want to shoot in front of that man. 
But speaking of uh, that three by three article that you mentioned, where you said Milton Doyle was one of the guys you would like to have the ball in his hands. For me, it was Ryan Brockoff. So let's talk about the Phoenix a little bit. Um, and we want to be a little bit positive here. We're not looking to upset anyone, uh, Olgs, when it comes to the Phoenix. No, but they're never, rolling. They've never. won nine out of 12. They look really good. Um, I was watching their game against... Obviously, we, they killed Illawarra, and then they went and did the same thing to Adelaide. And in my mind, I was watching, and I was thinking, they could just... All they need to do is outscore teams. They have so many offensive weapons. That's all they need to do. And in that game, and we again, we speak about this every week, um, and in press conferences with, with Simon Mitchell and whoever the player is, like it's it's a different person every week based on the matchup. So against Adelaide, Trey Kell looked really good. Um, against Illawarra, it was sort of everyone, but Mitch Creek was doing his thing. Alan Williams has been so consistent over the past few, over the whole season. Um, they just have so many weapons. Um, and then the Adelaide game was scary because Joe Chi started to hmm. look up and about. It looked like he is sort of over the hump of the sort of the injury that he had and the illness that he was getting over. His conditioning looks back as well. You know, they're starting to put it together. Yeah, they are. And, and offensively, they do do it differently. And I remember asking Simon about Alan Williams and the willingness for the Phoenix to post up because you hear the old players... You know, I used to work with Damon Lowry and, and this man used to go into an absolute fit every single weekend because the big men weren't getting posted up. <laughs> but the reality is there, there aren't a lot of big men that they that play that way yeah. these days. But Williams is old school and you can run the offense through him even though you've got Gary Brown, Trey Cal on the perimeter that, that, could, that can make stuff work. And the other thing that's great about Alan Williams is he's a willing passer, which means that because he's physically monstering everyone down there, and Adelaide didn't have the size, even though he is undersized for a five, they didn't have the the physical, the weight, let's, let's say the weight, to, yep. to manage Alan Williams. So they would send the doubles, and then you're in trouble because they've got shooters all over the place. And Ryan Brockhoff, I mentioned, 65% of his shots this year have been from beyond the three-point line, which is exactly what you want yes. for Ryan Brockhoff. And he's 47% from three on the season. So he's been sizzling. I think it's gone under the radar because in a lot of ways, he's the fifth offensive option on this team in this starting lineup, which is crazy to think about. It's weird. So, when, and he mentioned it in his press conference as well, that he feels a lot more comfortable. Like he's he's settled in. Um, and, and you mentioned the fact that he's a, practically the fifth offensive option, but he is in effect the most important mm. offensive player because he's the gravity. He's the guy who's, you know, coming off those those down screens and you have to pay attention to him and then all of a sudden you might have a mismatch down low and so you throw it into the post and go to work from there he is unbelievably important and again i spoke about jack mcveigh as you know a boomer's consideration guy i think ryan brockoff is, has almost worked his way back into being not a lock for the boomers 12 but like an absolute consideration to return to that boomers 12 um he his shot is still just so beautiful um and it's it's not just that either and you know we we speak about their defense a lot and it's something that has been up and down since they've been together they've been sort of a, a middle of the road defensive team which is totally fine um and brockoff is a big part of that his ability to defend his ability to switch um he's one of the best rebounders in the nbl you know he helps them so much on that end um to the point where we've said this before but i think they're in that contending range yeah brockoff to the boomers i like yeah. It's a nice call in terms of certainly in the squad. And again, you look at the shooting. Uh, one last point, because I mentioned that they're posting up more frequently than any other team. 
They're also getting to the free throw line. So their free throw rate, so percentage of shot attempts that result in a free throw, 38.8% this season. Number one in the league. The second ranked team is the Sydney Kings. And they're 7.4% below that of the Phoenix. Like It's not Jeez. even close. And yeah. we've seen some games, you know, Melbourne United, they had the 35 free throw attempts. The game against Adelaide, CJ Bruton after the game, he kind of smiled and shook his head and said, yeah, this team gets to the free throw line a lot. It's not. It's got nothing to do with anything other than the fact that this team is as physical as any team in the league down low and where they're trying to score because their three-point rate is also the lowest in the league. So they're not firing away threes. They do get quality threes. Uh, but they're not just firing away. They are an inside-outside offense, which is unique. And I think maybe the fact that it is so unique is is causing some issues for other teams defensively at this point. And then they just have the talent. So, yeah, I weeks ago, when we first saw this team come together and they went to New Zealand and they, they blew the breakers out at home, we spoke about it on the jump. Who's your top two seeds in the league? I had the Kings number one. I've still got Kings number one. And then I had the Phoenix number two. I, I think that they're right there. So do I. And, and you speak about their free throw percentage and it's the nature of the guys I have. Again, you're throwing it into Alan Williams. You're throwing it into Mitch Creek. Well, Creek posts up as well. He's unique. And and they, they post up Trey Kell a lot as well. Like they they throw it into guys if they see mismatches. They, they want to go down there. That's where, that's where they feel their advantages are. And at least up until this point, it looks like it's it's working. Like they're, they're winning games. They, they look like that number, I, I think, I still like New Zealand even though they've sort of hit like a, a little bit of a lull but I think they're right up there with, with, with Sydney and New Zealand as contenders here some Phoenix positivity who would have thought uh, yeah, they've, no, they've won 9 out from of 12 us. 9 out of 12 especially from us uh, what about this throwdown though speaking of the Phoenix so again uh, well that's right <laughs> I feel like the game we've ha- we've been to 90% throwdowns this season I think that's accurate <laughs> so this is the last one until potentially the playoffs who knows what could happen down the road okay uh, you mentioned... <laughs> sure. Well, Melbourne would want to win this game. Uh, yep. <laughs> we discussed in terms of the home court stuff with both of these teams. We understand with the Australian Open coming up. Do you remember off the top of your head? I should have told you to write it down. But the point being, there is not many home games left for both of these two teams. Melbourne so far, has... the Phoenix have won two of these throwdowns. Melbourne got one. Uh, but there's just not many games left at John Kane. No, so there is this throwdown. Melbourne has a game against Cairns just prior to Christmas Day. Mm. Um, And then they may have one more at home, but I know that throughout the entire month of January, they are on the road. Um, And then they have one final game at the start of February um, at home. But they are about to go on a a month-long road trip, effectively. Um, And then South East Melbourne... Similar situation, except they, I think they, January 16, they have a game at State Basketball Centre. They have a few games at, at Knox. Well, hopefully everyone's available and everyone plays in this game because I think, again, forget the standings. I think this could be a pretty entertaining uh, game of basketball. And Melbourne kind of do have some of the size stuff we're talking about now with the combination of Marcus Lee, Isaac Humphreys getting his win back a little bit um, from having COVID. So, yeah, hopefully it's a fun matchup Thursday night. We'll be down there, Olks. I think I honestly think, and again, it just would have been so much easier to say this had Melbourne not choked against Perth. Or Tassie. They'd be right in there. Those it, are the two games that Dean Vickerman is going to be staying up at night thinking about. Totally. Especially because at the very like the eye test tells us that they look really organized. They look like a well drilled te- team. They're, they're going through their sets really nicely. Shaley, like we talk about how important he is. It's not because he's 
Michael Jordan is because just the role that he plays is one that is irreplaceable. You just you can't have anyone else play that role unless unless someone has that skill set. And so, you know, him joining that team makes them like they're like they're a top four talent of a team in my opinion. But I just think they've dug themselves too much of a hole. And so the games that we're going to get from them, I think, are going to be really high quality games because they're I think they're a high quality team right now. And you mentioned Shay early before we wrap up the NBL chat on this podcast. I've got an NBA question for you regarding Josh Giddy and Dyson Daniels. But of course you do. I just simply don't even need to go into it. But Shay Early, his ability to have all the concussion stuff that he's had through the season and still try and block Luke Travers at the rim, dive on the on the court for loose balls. This man is he's a madman. He's sick. Like he's unreal. Um I don't I forget that that's what he can do. And I, and that's the thing. The whole time we're thinking like, oh, if they get Shea Ely back, they'll be good. And it, it seemed like, again, people were like, oh, they're not getting Steph Curry back. But still, he is unbelievably important because I forget just like, just how uh, how valuable he is on both ends. It's, it's sick. Uh, he's been great. Good to see him back playing. All right, this Dyson Daniels, Josh Giddy question, who you've already claimed that you know what I'm going to ask. Yeah. I've got two questions in mind of what I think you're going to ask. Okay, so one is boomersy, the other is hypothetical. It's not, it's not boomersy. I don't even know if it's hypothetical. So I, I came into this podcast hoping you were wrong, and now I've got a little bit of a sense that you might be wrong. So that's great. And there is no, whatever your answer is to this question, there is no knock on the other guy. They're both doing incredible things in the NBA, but it's just a, more of a general discussion about an idea. So Josh Giddy, we know what he's been able to do over the course of a season and a half when it comes to the numbers. And now we're seeing Dyson Daniels on the 18 and 8 New Orleans Pelicans every night player. At the moment, he's starting, but that will change probably when Brandon Ingram plays, Herb Jones, these types of guys. Yeah, That's even more remarkable, by the way, that the Pelicans are 18 and 8, considering some of the injuries they've had. What's more impressive? The numbers on a team that is very young, inconsistent, not really a playoff contender or someone that breaks in as a rookie into the rotation of a team that is looking like a genuine threat to win a playoff series or two. Because they are very, very different scenarios. And last year we spoke about Josh Gideon. We're thinking, gee, this is the perfect opportunity for him to go to a team where he's going to get to play. And as a point guard, you need to play through mistakes. So it's been ideal. But I'm sitting back and Daniel's ability to be a winning player as a rookie is just so rare. Yeah, Dyson Daniels being a 19-year-old rookie starting on the best team in the West and not looking out of place in any way on either end. He he looks elite defensively. At the, the end of their game against the Suns, his ability to switch multiple times, to guard bigs down low. Like he, we think that that's a mismatch down there. He's 6'8 and long and super athletic, right? His ability to do all of that stuff is elite. He is working his way into an all-rookie first-team berth. Um, what's more impressive? I think, look, being able to make a significant contribution, not just with your production and output, but with your effect on a team that is looking like one of the best teams in the West and it looks like it's going to be a playoff contender, I think that is more impressive. Because um, that is just a harder thing to get into. Playing for a, a tanking team where the opportunity is necessary is easy right and it but it, it takes a ton of skill 
to be able to produce in those minutes. The, the, the production's not a given. The opportunity is effectively a given. Um, the fact that Dyson is producing with opportunity that's not necessarily a given, I think is more impressive. And obviously completely, not completely different players, but different players. And Giddy's scoring has gone up. His efficiency's gone up really at, at every level as well. So he's doing great stuff. I don't think there's really actually an answer to that, but it's more just highlighting that sometimes maybe people look at the box score and say, ah, oh, Dyson Daniels started. Oh, he got five points. Okay. He is contributing in a big way. And this per- yeah. this Pelicans team last year were at bottom half of the league for defense. They're top five in the league for defense now. And even when he got drafted, that was the word that was coming out. They wanted more guys that could be versatile defensively. Now, you don't always think, as you pointed to, a 19-year-old is going to come in and be able to do that because the reality is not many do. They've got Herb Jones, who, by the way, was able to do it. So shout out to the Pelicans for the way they've drafted. They're putting together a serious team. So I'll say this. Both things are impressive. Being able to actually do the production, have that output on a bad team is impressive. Being able to make that sort of impact on a good team is impressive. I would say that which one would you rather be? I think everyone would rather be in Dyson Daniels' sure. position because you'd rather win than lose. And you also get to watch Zion up close every single night. Which this is very true. The easiest assist in the world. Here you go, here you go Zion, and then I will be Zion. I will dunk on everyone. What a man he is. Anyway, the <laughs> Pelicans are right up there in the league pass uh, rankings right now. And if you're listening to this and you haven't caught the Pelicans or you haven't seen a lot of Dyson Daniels, I highly recommend you go and do that. And to your point, I wasn't asking about the Boomers, but it's going to be fun with those two. They are I mean, locks. Right now, if looking at a, let's say once everyone's graduated, looking at like a Giddy, Daniels, Josh Green, let's see what Ben Simmons does, um, you know, Matisse Thibault still in the mix, Dante, it, like Jock Landau, Nick Kay, there is a really cool boomers core that is about to be created and the, the two-headed snake could very well be Giddy and Dyson Daniels. And Jack White, who I caught up with this morning and that's on this podcast feed as well. Make sure you go and check that out. He's living a wild life as a two-way player. An all-round good guy, Jack White. You want to see him do well. So he's going to be in the mix. He speaks about the Boomers. He speaks about Dyson Daniels and all the guys that are doing great things over there in the NBA or elsewhere around the world. So that's a fun chat. Make sure you check that out, uh, the conversation with Jack White. Oggs, I'm going to see you at the throwdown Thursday night. I think the Phoenix will probably win, but then again, I've been wrong many times before this season. I think it'll be close. We've seen how this together United team is blown out southeast melbourne it was close the last time they played each other and shaley didn't play then so i think it could be a good game um obviously head to espn.com.au for mm. all of our stories um you have a, a write-off of, on, from your podcast with jack white um i'm sure we'll have some brisma bullets follow-up stories to come about what's going on in that organization so stay tuned carnage is always in the nbl and uh, this week is absolutely no different. So we'll be back here next Tuesday, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more stories to come from that. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. You'll hear from us every Tuesday on the NBL, but you also get the other little specials in between. So if you're not subscribed, you won't get the notification, and you might miss out on some cool content. So make sure you do that. And Olgs, I'll catch you next Tuesday. Bye, Kane.